Amen. Amen. Sister Carol, would you hold up one of the Connect cards, please? Okay. We have these Connect cards. We would like for you to use them. Those are the cards that you use to can put prayer requests on and even provide us with your contact information. We're encouraging people to come and pray with us on Friday night. That's when we do, when we take those cards and we pray over those cards and we ask God to move on your behalf. Amen. Amen. So please, I'm encouraging people to come and pray with us on Friday nights. It's from 7 to 8. Come and, and pray with us on Friday nights. Okay, the only other announcement that I have, these brochures was made by Emma. Thank you. This is... Uh, This is our Women's Empowerment Conference that's going to be on the 29th of this month of April. Now, how many women have already signed up? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. If you haven't signed up, you need to sign up. You need to sign up. How do you grow in the Lord? You come to church. You go to Bible study. You come for conferences. Nobody has a complete word on everything. So you come so you can get ministered to. So come. If you haven't signed up, you need to sign up. We're going to provide lunch and a, and a small breakfast. The sign-up sheet is on the back in the foyer. And we also have a spiritual gift test that you need to pick up. Now, why are we doing that? Because we want to find out where your gifts are. And everybody has gifts and talents. This will be a perfect opportunity. You don't even have to be a member of the church. You can come to the conference. Come, you'll be blessed. I'm telling you, don't miss out on your blessing. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you, Teresa, for your help in this. We're very, very happy to, um, to do this and because we, we want everybody, to, we want you ladies to be blessed. So please come. Let's see if there's anything else I'm missing. Nope. Thank y'all. Have a good day. Good morning. See, I'm really not preaching this morning. This young man behind me is. He's got something special for us. Along with others, I want to welcome you to the house of the Lord. Um, what wonderful worship we've heard from the Lord this morning. Everything we need has been purchased and bought for us. It's just are we willing to receive it and live in it? That's, that's the question for us today. Over the last couple of weeks, we've had a uh, some different things going on. We've had Karis Bible College here. Then Brother Michael gave us uh, our Palm Sunday message. And last week we celebrated the resurrection. What a great service we had. I want to thank everyone who had a part in that service for making the breakfast possible to everything that happened. And I know many of you brought family with you. And I just hope that every person who was here last Sunday received something that they could take with them, not just on Resurrection Sunday, but we take the power of the resurrection with us every day, every week. And that's been my prayer for those who were here last Sunday. This morning, though, we'll continue our study 
uh, through the book of Genesis titled, In the Beginning. We started the series with the creation account of Genesis 1 and 2, where we saw that God was a God of order, a God of power, and a God of goodness. We also saw that He was a relational God, and that He created us to have relationship with Him, and when He did that, He said everything was very good. But then we moved into Genesis 3 and the fall of man, where Satan deceived Adam and Eve, and they ate of the forbidden fruit, ushering in pain, suffering, and both physical and spiritual death. However, even in this, we saw the first announcement in the gospel of Genesis 3.15, where God looked at Satan and he said, I'm going to put enmity, that's hatred, between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he will... You will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And everything in the Bible, really, from that promise to the end of the book, is about that seed of that woman that would come. In many ways, John 3.16, which is probably the most well-known and probably the pivotal scripture of all the Bible, is a fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. As Sister Joy, as God said to us through Sister Joy this morning, when Christ died on that cross and resurrected, He gave us everything we need. He reversed that curse that happened in Genesis. But we live in a world now, it's often referred to as a tension between the now and the not yet. We live in it now. We have it now. But it's not fully fulfilled. One day it will be fully fulfilled. For your loved ones who've gone on with the Lord in Christ, it's fully fulfilled now. And one day Christ is going to return and things are going to be back like He intended them to be. But thank God we live in His grace now. He's not done. He's got other people. He wants to use us to go out and reach this world before He returns. We then moved to Noah and saw that in just 16 years from Adam, the world became incredibly wicked with demonic activity and sin. Spent a whole Sunday on the demonic activity. How we're seeing it, I believe, those same levels in our culture today. And God destroyed the earth, but He saved Noah and his family to continue the promise of the seed of the woman. And that's going to move us into where we are today. We're going to look at what is commonly referred to as Abraham or Father Abraham. Next to Jesus, Abraham is arguably the most influential man of the Christian faith. He's the first of what is known as the patriarchs. All throughout the Bible, God is referred to as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he's considered the father of the world's three major religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Through Abraham's faith, we have the beginning of the Jewish nation, of which would come the Word of God, the covenants, the prophets, and ultimately our Savior. I started this whole series with this idea and this premise that people today are infatuated with their natural heritage. Sites like Ancestry.com are exploding. People want to know about their lineage, their, their heritage, and the benefits. And, there, and we show there was lots of benefits to knowing it, from health benefits to all types of things. How much more to know our spiritual heritage? And if our spiritual heritage is traced to any one person, usually it's traced to this man named Abraham. 
So if you have your Bibles or your smartphones, if you'll turn with me to Genesis 12, and I'll be reading 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, now you'll notice there his name is not Abraham. And you'll have to forgive me because it's going to be hard. I'm going to refer to him as Abraham. It's going to be hard to always refer to him as Abram. But when he first comes on to scene, his name is Abram. God will later change his name to Abraham. Abram means exalted father. Which is interesting within itself because Abraham at this time had no children. And his wife was barren. But how many of you know we serve a God who calls those things not as though they were? He knew what he was going to do in Abraham's life. And he was ready to do that. So he could call him, Abram, exalted father. Because he would be. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions, and they gathered that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land of the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still towards the south." Our prayer for the service this morning is going to come from little Noah. Noah came up to me after the service last, last Sunday, and he said, his dad came up and said, Noah has something he wants to say. I said, okay. He said, he wants to pray at next Sunday service. I said, like, pray in the pulpit? He said, yes. Let me tell you, anytime any child, any young person wants to come and pray or do anything, just ask. I'd love to see this place full of people this age who know and are hungry for God's word. Little Noah. Come on up, buddy. One of these mics work, man. Okay, so we thought what what might work. And I think since the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, and he told them how to pray, I think that's probably a pretty good prayer. So Noah's going to pray the Lord's Prayer for us this morning. So if you'll bow your head and pray along with us at the service this morning. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And forgive us our trespass is as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into 
trumpation. But deliver us from evil. For thine in the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's give him a hand. Out of the mouth of babes. What? So this morning, from the passage that we read, I want to look at three things this morning. I want to look at the call of Abram, the promise to Abram, and the obedience of Abram. First, the call of Abram. Genesis 12.1 starts out and it says, And the Lord said to Abram, The Lord said to Abram, God chose Abram. Why? Why Abram? I asked that same question when we looked at the life of Noah. Why Noah? In the situation of, in, in, in the situation of Noah, we could have looked at some things because the Bible said he was a righteous man, perfect in his generation, blameless. That's not why God chose him, but they chose to say some characteristics about him. He didn't say any of these things about Abram. What was it about this man that God chose him? We don't know. But what we do know is God is sovereign in who he chooses. Jack Hayford said that the call of Abram is a sovereign call of God. As a matter of fact, Abram, unlike Noah, was an idol worshiper when God called him. His whole family was idol worshipers. Look at Joshua 24 and 2. Joshua 24 and 2. This is Joshua. He's speaking to the children of Israel just before he's going to carry them into the promised land. And he says this to them. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. When God called Abram, he worshipped other gods. But God does the choosing. And what I, can, what, I can deduce, what I can deduct from that and the fact that God called Abram in a time when he was an, an idol worshiper, I'm reminded that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank God it wasn't because of my goodness that Christ died for me. He died for me when I was a sinner. And it also tells me that God is neither hindered by our failures or impressed with our abilities. And somebody here needs to hear that. God is not hindered by your failures. Satan will keep your past in front of your eyes. He'll tell you, you can't do this, you can't do that. He will keep that right in front of your eyes. David said, my sin is always before me. If he can keep that before you, if he can keep your past before you, he will keep you in completely ineffective for what God wants to do through you. And God wants to do something through you. But he is also not impressed with our abilities. I think many times people come to the Lord and they think, you're lucky to have me. I'm here. Hey, you're lucky to have me, God. I'm going to come in on Sunday and I'm going I'm to bless the church. They're, they're lucky to have me here. Look at my abilities. Look at what I can do. 
Look at how I can talk. Look at how I can preach. Look at how I can teach this morning or whatever it is. Look at how I can usher or greet. This morning when I was in the office praying before the service, I said, God, don't ever let this be about my abilities. Don't let it be about me. God does give us certain abilities, but take those abilities that He's given you and use them to glorify Him. I thank God for our praise and worship team. They've got talent. But I know they use that talent to usher in the praise of God. It's not about entertainment. It is about ushering us into the presence of God, using those abilities. And many times what happens to people, including Christians, once they become on a public large public stage, whether it's a pastor or a preacher, or whether it's a, a, a praise team, a praise band that gets notoriety, they become prideful. And the Bible says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. God will not share His glory with anyone. It's never about me. It's never about you. It's always about Him. And He can use you, regardless of your past, and he wants to take your abilities and you use them for his glory. But God does the choosing. God chooses who will come to Christ. Look at John 6, Jesus talking to his disciples said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up in the last day. Jesus looked at his disciples in John 15 and 16. He said, You didn't choose me. I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. God does the choosing. A lot of people get in themselves tied up in theological knots on this. They get in all kinds of fusses over it because they'll say, well, are you telling me that God chooses some and he don't choose others? Are you telling me that God predestined some people to hell? No, I'm not telling you any of that. But I am telling you that God does the choosing because I also know as we saw in the creation, that the Bible says that the creation reveals the glory of God so that every man is without excuse. So somehow, some way, God reveals Himself to every man and woman. And we all have a choice to make. There's always that balance between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. But if you're here this morning... Understand that from the foundation of the earth, God knew that on April the 16th that... 10, 11, 11, 15, 2023, that you'd be sitting in a church at 3518 Rose of Sharon Road, and He wants to reveal something to you. He's already revealed Himself to you in some way. But God does the choosing, and He chose Abraham. But when He chose Abraham, He told him a couple things. He said, Abraham, I want you to leave, and I want you to go. I want you to leave, and I want you to go. First, He said, leave your country. That was Mesopotamia. That's modern-day Iraq. In Genesis eleven thirty one, it says, And Terah, that was Abram's father, took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out from there, from Ur of the Chaldeans, to go to the land of Canaan, and they came to Haran and dwelt there. Now, when you look at that scripture, it looks like maybe that Abraham's father is the one who took them out of Mesopotamia. I'm not going to read the scripture. It's on your page. But if you look at Acts 7, 2 through 4, it tells us that the call came to Abram in Mesopotamia. I'm not sure why Terah was the one who took them out. But God called and revealed himself to Abram there in modern day Iraq. 
I have a picture up here I want you to see about Abram's journey. That's where he started there. You see Ur, and he went to Haran, and he ultimately went to Canaan, the promised land. Well, why didn't he just go from Ur straight across? It looks like a much quicker path to me. That's all desert. That would have been a treacherous journey. What you really can't see there is from Ur to Canaan is the Euphrates River. They could go and, and go along beside of that river and life and life-sustaining things there. But that is the trip that Abraham took. But he told him, he said, leave your country. And then he said, leave your family. Why would God say, leave your family? I can't imagine God ever saying, leave your family. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 14 and 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Are you saying to me, Brother Larry, I have to hate my family? No. But what Christ was saying to him is he has to be number one in our lives. He has to be number one above my wife, above my children. And if he puts a call in my life, he puts a call in your life, we're to obey it. Now, do I think that God's going to call me to leave? And I've asked myself this question. When you read scriptures like this, you have to ask yourself this question. God, if you called me today and said, Larry, I want you to sell everything you got. I want you to take the proceeds. I want, to get you, I want you to get in your car, and I want you to start driving. God, where am I going? I don't, uh, you'll know when you get there. Start driving. Would I do that? I like to say I hope so, but I say that in faith. But do you know, church, we have missionaries all the time that do that. We have people that receive a call of God, and they leave their families. They leave their parents. I experienced that. When I watched Colin and Madison get on an airplane to go to Mali, Africa, it was very emotional. I didn't want to see them leave. But his call was to them. His and her call was to them, not to me. And here's the thing. He's going to call you to do something. He'll never leave. The question, here's the thing, church. The calling of God never leaves you where you are. He may not call you to go to a foreign land. He might. He might call you to go across the street and, and, and be a witness to your neighbor. He might call you to be a witness in your workplace, and He is. But the thing is, God is never going to leave you. The call of God never leaves you where you are, particularly spiritually. When He calls you, when His Spirit draws you to Himself, He is going to change you. He's not going to leave you in the condition that you are in spiritually. The buzzword for churches today is all are welcome. Many times that means it's an affirming church. I want to tell you at Bethel, all are welcome. I don't care where you are, what lifestyle you're in, you're welcome here. Because here's what I know. I'm not changing anybody. I'm not going to change you. I'm not going to try to change you. But what I do know is when the Spirit of the Holy God begins to move and people begin to surrender, really surrender themselves to Him, He's going to change them. He's not going to leave them there. He loves you too much to leave you there. And so you'll sit there in a spirit of rebellion or you'll let God change you. You'll let Him take you from glory to glory. You'll let Him do what's called sanctify you, clean you up. God does that. He'll never leave you where you are. 
It's a lifelong journey. I prayed this morning for the, for the team that was in the prayer room because I, I, what I do know is everybody, myself included, that stands here or has a part of this service, they're dealing with things in their own lives. They're dealing with sickness. They're dealing with struggles, worry, sometimes sin. But yet they come in. And they prepare themselves to lead us into worship because they know that God's not going to leave them there. That they'll come into the presence of God and you'll leave different than when you came. God never leaves us where he finds us. And he did not leave Abram where he found him. That's the call of Abram. How about the promise to Abram? He says, leave, but then he says, go. Go where? Go to a land that I will show you. Go to a land that I will show you. Make no doubt about it, church, that that promise to Abram was a land promise. And it wasn't a spiritual land promise. God promised land to the nation of Israel, to the Jewish people. And that land has been battled for ever since. You can turn on your news today, just last week, and see the rockets flying out of the Gaza Strip or out of Syria over to Israel, and Israel firing rockets back. It goes all the way back to here. It is a contested land, but it is God's land. It's God's promise to his people. Genesis 15, 7, God says this to, to Abram. He said, also, he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. In 15 and 18, he said, On the day the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. The actual boundaries of this land is laid out in Scripture. However, the, the, the nation of Israel has never occupied all of the land. They've always only occupied a little small portion of it. It is a very special land in Deuteronomy 11 and 12. It says, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it. From the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. It is a land promise. And it is a promise to the nation of Israel. Now, as we move into the I will statements about the blessings to Abraham. I will. You have to contrast that with Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel. In the Tower of Babel, the people had become rebellious. They were going to build themselves a tower out of rebellion to God. And three times they said, we will. We will make some bricks. We will make a name for ourselves. We will. Church, I want it to be God will. I want the blessing of God, not the blessing of Larry. Because the Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up in due time. Go to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. That nation was Israel. That nation was Israel. And it is a great nation. The nation of Israel is a great nation. There's never been another nation like it. In his book, Breaking the Jewish Code by Perry Stone, wonderful book. I would encourage you to read it sometime. He says this. Speaking of the Jewish people, he says, they are the only people who were 1,939 years without a nation, a united language, or a capital. 
Yet today they have returned to their original land, Israel. They speak their original language, Hebrew, and they pray at their original capital, Jerusalem. I call this the... I call this unique ability the Jewish DNA of success and survival. And it all began with one man, Abraham. Because God made a promise. And when God says, I will, church, it's going to happen. And when God said, I will bless you with the land, it was going to happen. And you look through all of history and all you, you, at, at the same time that God established the Israelites, we see the Canaanites. If you read the Old Testament much, you'll see the Moabites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and all those other ites. They don't exist anymore. But the Israelites do. They do. Why? Because God made a promise. And when God makes a promise, He keeps it. I will make you a great nation. I read this. I found this. It's, this is a couple things about the, the Jewish people. It says... There is a well-known story how Frederick the Great asked the philosopher Marquis Dargens, can you give me one single irrefutable proof of God? To which Marquis replied, yes, your majesty, the Jews. In other words, the history of the Jewish race declares that the God of the Bible is real. Christians and non-Christians have noted something very special and peculiar about this race. Winston Churchill said some people like the Jews and some people do not. But no thoughtful man can deny the fact that they are beyond any question the most formidable and most remarkable race in which has appeared in the world. And then John Adams, our second president, said, I will insist the Hebrews have contributed more to civilized men than to any other nation. If I was an atheist and believed in blind eternal fate, I should still believe that fate had ordained the Jews to the most essential instrument for civilizing nations. They are the most glorious nation that has ever inhabited this earth. The Romans and their empire were but a bubble in comparison to the Jews. Why? Why? Because God made a promise. Because God made a promise. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. Those blessings were material blessings. Abraham was a very wealthy man. He had established a lot of livestock before he was called out of earth. And God blessed him, and he blessed him many times throughout his journeys, as we'll see as we look in a couple more sermons about the life of Abraham. And I will make your name great, renowned. Abraham could have never had any idea how great his name would be. He, had, he could have never imagined that some thousands of years later, people like me would be standing talking about this man. But God said, I'll make your name great. I've got another picture I want you to see. Some of you have been to this place. I hope all of you can go one day. I've been there. That's the city of Jerusalem. And what you're looking at there, that big dome is the Dome of the Rock. That is the most, one of the most holy places for the Islamic faith. They accredit their history and their beginning to Abraham. That big wall that you're looking straight ahead, that is the commonly referred to as the Western Wall. That is just the retaining wall of what's left of Herod's temple when it was destroyed. And then we know those three things are very, or the Jewish part of that, as we see today, is the forerunner of our faith. Right here we see Abraham, this, this man who's named is renowned in three of the major religions of our world. 
Why? Because God made a promise. He said, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your name great. And he did bless him, and he made his name great. But then he said, you will be a blessing, and in you all the families will be blessed. So what does this man, Abram, why does this matter to us some thousand of years later? That he was wealthy? That his name was made great? What, what difference does that make to us? Because through him the seed of that woman would come. Look at, look at Galatians 3 and 14. Galatians 3 and 14. It says, now I should have included 13 in that, but 13 says that, that we were under the curse of the law and Jesus came and reversed the curse. But then in 14 he says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That we might receive the, the promise of the Spirit through faith. We're blessed through Abraham, through Jesus Christ. Every blessing, church, that you see in there that was given to Abraham is ours. The Bible says that the promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. We now are a great nation. He has placed his name with us, so our name is great. He's blessed us so that we can be a blessing. Peter writing to a group of Gentiles in 1 Peter 2 and 9, he looked at the Gentiles and he said this to them, but you are a chosen generation. So this is you. When I read this to you, this is you. This is what you need to receive. This is how you need to see yourself. Because if you see yourself any differently, if you see any yourself the way Satan says that you should be, then you're going to be defeated. But this is what the Bible says that you are. This is what the Bible says that I am. Peter said, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Because of the faith of Abraham, because of the seed of Abraham, we're now a great nation. We're now the people of God. That you may, why? 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 Just so we can be great? No. That we may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his glorious light. All those promises, church, are yes and amen to us. They were given to Abraham and they were passed down to us through Jesus. We've been grafted into all those promises. There's not a promise that's been made in the Bible that if you haven't put your trust in Christ, they're not promises for you and they're not promises for me. And Abraham could not see him. He could have never looked and known his name would be that great. We don't know what God has for us. We don't know what it's going to be like, but I can tell you he's made promises to us and those promises will come to pass. And then lastly, he said, I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. I believe America is a great nation for a couple reasons. I believe this nation was founded on a covenant with God. I believe men founded this nation on religious freedom. And I believe most of those men relied on the Bible. You can't go to Washington, D.C. and see all the scriptures that splattered all over that city and not understand that we have a biblical foundation in this nation. Now, we seem to be moving away from it, but we have it. And we're paying a price for that, in my estimation. But this nation is also great because it's always been a supporter and a defender of Israel. And when we stop doing that, we're in trouble. Because I believe when God said, I will bless those that bless you, I will curse those that curse you, I think he meant it then and I think he means it now. And I'm glad that President Truman knew that 
when it come time to recognize Israel as a nation again in 1948. He got a lot of pushback from that. A lot of people were opposed to that. It says Truman's decision to recognize Israel was hard fought. He was strongly opposed in the U.S. State Department, which favored a United Nations trusteeship over Palestine. The State Department took a pragmatic view, seeing the need for the free flow of oil from Muslim nations in the face of a very real possibility of war with Russia. They did not want to offend the Muslims for the sake of a few Jews. Truman withstood this pressure because of his biblical convictions. We don't know how much he read the Bible in his adult years, but it is said that he read it three times. He read it through three times before age 14. And when he was trying to make that decision, Harry Truman wrote a letter to a Baptist pastor in Fort Worth, Texas, asking for counsel. God give us a president that would actually go to someone and get godly counsel on decisions. But he wrote this, pa this pastor, and this is what the pastor said to him. His name was J. Frank Norris. He said, the time has come and long past when the United States should keep its promise and take a firm stand for law and order in the land that has given the world its Bible and its Savior. I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. The call of Abram, the promises to Abram, and then the obedience of Abram. I'm going to ask Matt and the praise team if they want to come on forward. The Bible says, Abram departed as the Lord had spoken. Just like Noah, when God called, Abram went. When God called, Abram went. When God calls you, church, respond. The Bible says when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Our pride as Americans has gotten in our way of what God wants to do through us. This morning, as, it, as we move into the altar time, if God is dealing with you about something in your life, respond. God honors obedience. And Abram did what the Lord had called him. He departed as the Lord had spoken. Abram took Sarai, Lot, and his possessions. So, something that I read behind said that that was partial obedience. That when he took these things with him, it was partial obedience. It was showing he didn't fully trust the Lord. But some said no. Some said he took all these things because he won't going back. And when God calls you, you can't go back. Don't look back. He's not going to leave you where you were, so don't look back where you were. Next week, I'll deal with Lot a little bit, and many of you know what happened to his wife when she looked back. Don't look back. Make a decision. God, I'm taking all this stuff with me because I'm not going back there. I don't like what was back there. Abram built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. An altar then for Abram was a place to meet God. That's what this altar is. In a, in a world where it seems to have gone by the wayside, in many churches where it was never done in the first place, but even in some churches where it was, it's kind of been old, considered old school. They don't do it anymore. There's many places you can meet God. It doesn't have to be here, but this church has dedicated this place as a place to meet God. Do you have a place to meet God? How about in your home? 
I hope you have a place to meet God in your home. Jesus said, when you pray, go into your prayer closet. Doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a closet, but do you have a place to meet God? You should. Have a place dedicated somewhere in your home where you know when I go there, I'm going to do business with God. I'm going to go spend some time with Him. And I'm not going to take my phone and I'm not going to take my computer or all these other things that distract us. And it might only be five minutes. But you know, what I find is sometimes I go up there and I'm a little distracted in my mind. And I say, well, Lord, I can at least go give five minutes. And I might even have a little worship set playing. And the next thing you know, five minutes becomes an hour. And I come down out of the place where I met God a lot different than when I went up. It's a place to meet God. And Abram had a place to meet God. Abram didn't know what was next. We walk by faith, not by sight. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what your tomorrow holds. But I know who holds it. He didn't know what was next. Many of you are dealing with things right now. You don't know what's next. But he does. And you can trust him. And Abram was trusting God one day at a time. He had built an altar. He had spent time with God. He had heard from God. He had a place to meet God. And he called on the name of the Lord. And Abram pitched a tent. A tent was a, not a permanent structure. It wasn't a permanent structure. You know why? Abram said, Lord, I'll go wherever you send me. I'm not planting roots down anywhere. And sometimes I think our natural roots are too deep. But not Abram. He said, Lord, I'll go wherever you send me. I'm just going to pitch a tent for now. And we see that God took him all kinds of places. I don't know where God's going to take you. I don't know if he's going to call you to a foreign land. I don't know. But the question is, are we ready to be obedient? A couple, just three things I want you to remember from this message. The calling of God never leaves you where you are. If God's dealing with you this morning spiritually. Maybe, he's, maybe he is calling you to, to something. Be willing to respond. The calling of God never leaves you where you are. The promises made to Abraham are promises to us. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And they're ours. As Sister Joy said this morning, they're ours. Everything's been done for our spiritual well-being. And lastly, have a place where you meet God. That's what I want to do this morning. I'm going to ask everyone, if you will, to stand. If you're here this morning, and it, either during the praise and worship or during the message, God's dealt with you. Church, I want to say something about this altar. We see Brother Mike is down here praying. It's always open. It doesn't have to be an end-of-the-service thing. At any time during a service, particularly times during the praise and worship, if God's dealing with you, and you're like, I just want to go down and meet God. I know you can do it at your seat. I know. But you might say, I'm just going to walk down and get a little bit closer to that place. Do you know how many tears have been shed on this, this carpet right here? Do you know how many prayers have been sent up from God on this place right here? A lot. Because when this sanctuary was built and Pastor Don and Sister Carol had it dedicated, they wanted a place where people could meet God. 
And we're going to keep it a place where people can meet God. And I know, I think we've made it too easy. Well, just stay in your people. No, come here and meet God. And leave your pride in your seat, because that's usually what keeps you there. And meet God. You ain't coming to meet me. You're coming to meet God. So the altar's open. If there's something you need this morning, I'm so glad Brother Mike has come down. If there's something you need, maybe you don't need anything. I think too many times we've made it about need. Well, I need this. I need that. How many of you know this? It's okay to meet God just to glorify Him. And that's where it starts. God don't always want us to come to Him because we have a need. He's more than capable of meeting our need. I want to come to God and just say, God, I worship you. I want to glorify you. Things are going pretty good in my life, church. I'm going to tell you that. But it's in those times that you strengthen your faith. Because I'm going to tell you, they ain't always going to go good in my life. I know that. Life, life brings its trials. And it's in the good times that I want to make sure I was meeting with God, that I was building myself up in the most holy of faith, prepared for the trials that may come, and prepared to pour into people, and to prepare to love people, and prepared to carry the battles that people are carrying when I'm not carrying them. That's the call of us as the church. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the promises to Abraham, but I thank you, God, that they're for me now. They're yes and amen in Christ. God, you've spoken to us this morning. You've told us you've given us everything. The, the victory has been won. And God, I know there's times that life is hard. This morning as I prayed, Lord, you just impressed in my spirit, God, that even for those of us, Lord, who are challenged to come and, and deliver your word and usher people into your praise, life gets hard on us too. But you meet our need. And I pray, Lord, if there's someone here in this, this service now, if there's someone standing out there in that pew and they have a need, or God, they just want to meet with you. It's been a while. Maybe they've never come and knelt down and just said, Lord, I just want to be in your presence. I just want to glorify who you are. And thank you for saving me and for the promises that I have in you and the hope that I have in you because I know what I'm going to face when I walk out these doors and I go out into that world. A world that's going to say the exact opposite and put different pressures on me. But it's at this altar where I build myself up, where I'm poured in by your Spirit to be light in a lost world, to be salt in a saltless world, because you, as Peter said, have called us out of darkness into your glorious light. So as the praise team begins to play, the altar is open. If you have a need, or if you just want to come down and spend some time with the Lord, the altar is open.